Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a highly enterprising lady who figured out a while back the fruits of passive income through investing in specifically multifamily. She's done it very, very successfully on her own, but uh, equally as impressive. She also teaches how to do this uh, for lots of other people in various ways and um, channels. And she's going to talk about that in our conversation. She is the founder and CEO of Steady Stream Investments. She is Camilla Jeffs. So Camilla, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thanks so much, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And thank you. And uh, I hope things are good in, in North Dallas. The booming. They are. The booming Metroplex. What's the status before we talk about your story, which I'm excited to hear, like with the interest rates at 7% and the world getting weirder by the day, is Dallas slowed down at all or is is sentiment changed or is it still like pedal to the floor? Oh, things are definitely changing, right? There's definitely fewer buyers out there because interest rates have really, uh, you know, caused people to get scared. So I think the people who are scared of interest rates are the ones who have stopped buying. Those of us who are, who understand really the financial metrics best, we're still buying, but we're buying cautiously, right? We're making sure that we are going into it. We're we're not going to pay a premium for the properties anymore like we did last year. We um, definitely have to make the margins make sense. But I think even you know in any environment, if you're making calculated steps, you can find good deals and and do it. So I mean, we just closed on 196 unit just a couple of weeks ago here in the Dallas area. It's going to be a fantastic investment. It'll it'll be great for our our investors. So yeah, we're still always looking, but being cautious right now in in what we are buying and and being careful about the interest rates too. I see. So congratulations on that 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 uh, property, 196 units. What was the vintage on that? It's a 1980s product. Got it. Fantastic. Are you, what are you seeing with prices, you know, compared to whatever six months ago? Yeah. Well, I think sellers still want to get the premium. Like I said before, we're not willing to pay the premium on, on prices anymore. So, um, sellers are having to come down in pricing, which just simply means that cap rates are, you know, not as compressed as they used to be. They're starting to decompress a little bit. And um, so with the pricing, we're seeing that uh, they, they still, it, it's still a hard negotiation right now because they still want to get the, you know, the most they can out of their property. Of course, every seller does. Um, but we have to really negotiate pretty hard to get them to a price that makes sense. But I think sellers are realizing that they are, they have to um, come down a little bit and, and that's okay because They've had the benefit of a ton of appreciation in the last couple of years. They can afford to come down a little bit in price. Got it. So I'm going to go non-linear on you. And I usually start with this, but I didn't. And this was an exception. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a couple steps all the way back 
and ask you the following. I, I know uh, through your profile, you went to BYU at some point. Where are you from originally? And, and, and you know, what, it, what is your background before you get into all the real estate? <laughs> so the where are you from question is a little bit hard to answer. I was a military baby born in Germany. Uh, we moved around quite a bit, but I spent most of my growing up years in northern Utah. But since then, we've lived in Indiana, we've lived in Georgia, we've lived in Arizona, and now we live in Texas. So we're kind of nomadic. We like to move around and experience new things. And so were these moves, the we I, I, I'm gathering, but you can correct me, is, is you know, uh, a, a husband, a family, a what have you, correct me if I'm wrong. And then, but then the other question is what what precipitated these moves yeah. So, so yes, the husband and five children is the, is the makeup of my family. And the moves were almost all because of corporate jobs. So in the beginning, it was my husband's corporate job moving us around. And then it was my corporate job that moved us around a little bit. But I recently left that corporate job a year ago and um, to be it to do real estate investing full time and, and build my own business. You're an impressive lady. You have five kids and, and, and you, you know, you got into the real estate thing while you were working a full time job. So you're 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 somebody that yep. knows how to multitask. I can see that. <laughs> uh, very impressive. What led you, Camilla, to even get into the real estate space? So uh, because I was broke. So my husband and I married very young and and um, we were living, we had no money when we were first married and we were both going to school, getting our bachelor's degrees and we were cash flowing that. We were determined not to get debt for the, our college degrees. Uh, and so we were living in a garage apartment and the garage apartment was not the best living <laughs> space. But then we went from that to purchasing a six bedroom home that had a basement apartment and a pool in the backyard. And we lived there cheaper than we did in the garage apartment because we rented it out. So we, before the, the, the cool term house hacking happened, we were doing that. And that's how we started our real estate journey. Um, and that really like shook me. And I thought this, there's something to this real estate thing and I need to figure it out. So then I just started reading books, book after book after book. I went to meetups. I you know, like tried to learn as much as I could. And then we, you know, started doing things, but we were, I think we were very limited though, because we, we just thought we had to do everything with our own money, our own skills, our own time, our own brains. Uh, we didn't leverage partners. We didn't leverage any of that, but we were still able to build a, a pretty nice portfolio by moving into houses. So we would like buy a house, we'd move in, we would live in a construction zone, we'd fix it up and then we'd move out and either rent it or sell it. Uh, and we did this multiple times with our kids, mind you. <laughs> and, um, and the kids all, and the nice thing about it is the kids learned all those skills alongside us. So right now all, all five of my kids can sheetrock and tile and lay baseboard and, you know, and so we'll go out, we'll flip a house as a family too, just to keep them engaged and, and, and investing and, and teach them all these ways that things that, you know, the benefits of real estate. But, um, that's kind of how we built our portfolio. But 15 years into that, I got completely burnt out and just thought, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot of work because I, I was, I had launched a property management company and, but but it was like, you know, myself and my husband doing all the jobs. And uh, so then I started looking around for a better way to invest. 
um, and realize, you know, I always wanted to buy an apartment complex, but I didn't have a million dollars to buy an apartment complex. Um, and so then I realized, oh, you have to, you buy it with partners. Like most people don't just go out and buy their own apartment complex. They buy it with partners. And so I really learned the value of partnering. And since then I partnered and just closed on my 13th large multifamily deal. Um, and it's been pretty amazing for the the passive income. So we started out as passive investors into these and then I stepped into being an active investor and uh, I love it. That's a wonderful like kind of um, path to getting where you are now. And, and once again, you and your husband are hustlers. It's impressive. When you say, uh, you know, you just closed on your 13th large deal, were some of those uh, passive? Because you said you started off as passive. Are all of those uh, ones you've done as a, as a syndicator? Like, what does that look like? All of those are active. Those are all my active ones. All right. That is awesome. Hey, Street Smart listeners. I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. On the passive side, how would you characterize your experience as a passive investor in terms of the number of deals, type deals, and what was it like? I'll make the following to give you kind of my where I'm coming from with that question is that I'm a passive investor and I've been I've been a passive investor for 20 years, but really in a, in a more concentrated way the last few years. And um, I will tell you that I've learned a lot about myself as an investor. I still consider myself very immature as an investor. And I get, which means uh, I get frustrated easily and my expectations are sometimes not realistic. And sometimes the sponsors, you know, their communication sucks and I can't stand them and it's legitimate and, you know, it's all over the place. But, uh, but, uh, but I've been learning a lot. So I'm just curious from your perspective and you have a, you have a way more hands on, deeper, more knowledgeable background than I do. So I'm curious to know your, your experience. Yeah. So my first experience as a passive investor was actually quite scary because I was used to controlling all the pieces of the deal. I was used to being, I was the one that would find everything. I would, you know, analyze it. I knew exactly how it would be run. And then I would, I would run it and, and I would take the, uh, the responsibility. And if we did well, great. If we didn't do well, not too big of a deal. So as a passive investor, though, you are removing that control from yourself. You, you basically don't have control over any of the investment. You don't get to make any of the decisions. You don't make decisions about when to raise the rent. You don't make decisions about how to renovate the units. You don't make decisions about when to fix the parking lot. You don't make any of the financial decisions about who to hire for your insurance um, or your contractors or things like that. So 
you have to be comfortable with that position. But I think for me, it was, you know, I, I felt two emotions at the same time. You know, this is, this is normal. You can do this as a human. You can be absolutely terrified and, and be, you know, upset that you don't have control, but then also be relieved that you don't have to control it. Right. It's just, it's something that you can get off of your plate. And, you know, for me as a mother, five children and you've got a lot going on in our lives and growing a a business and and doing our investing. I felt like it was the right time for us to uh, rely on somebody else so that we could just make our money work for us. We didn't have to make ourselves and our time and our muscles do all the work in our investing. So it's a really kind of cool step to, you know, if you're, if you do stuff actively, Great, but you also need to have passive investments going on because at some point in your life, you're going to hit that burnout. You're going to hit that place where you're like, I just don't want to be active anymore. And then, you know, what are you going to do? Just quit investing in real estate? No, you got to just find partners and invest with them. Let them do the work that they're excited about and they're, they're good about. And so it was a, it was terrifying. I mean, the first, my first one was $50,000. It's a lot of money for the first time to, you know, transfer over. Of course, you know, we had bought properties before, but uh, just, you know, I remember, I distinctly remember my hand hovering over the, my mouse being like, well, okay, I'm wiring this money. Huh? Hope it goes well. <laughs> I go, just not knowing if it's going to go well or not, but knowing that I had to take that risk. How many passive investments uh, would you say you made? Uh, so done about six or seven. Got it. With six, with, with six or seven different sponsors or? Mm, no, no, some are the same. Got it. And are you still in those? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, and so then you, you you started doing this on your own. And what does that mean? So you have partners. You know what, what's the what's the structure? Do you work with the same group time and again? What is your role? But it sounds awfully exciting. And and when and when did you start it? Those are like five different questions. <laughs> okay, I'll see if I can hit all five. Um, <laughs> so after I invested passively. And found this as a, as a new method to invest. I fell in love with it. I, I thought this is just, this is amazing. And I know there are thousands of other burnt out landlords out there who are just like me, who are kind of looking around like, I am so tired of being a landlord, but I still believe in real estate and still want to invest in real estate, but I don't know how. And so. I loved it so much that I wanted to educate other people. So I just started teaching people and telling people about it. And here's how you, here's how you invest. Here's what I've done. And, and here's the, the different steps that I've taken. Uh, and then I quickly realized that I could join as an active member of the team by bringing all of these investors in to invest in the project. And so I have two really good skills. I am skilled at, at management. So I, you know, I had my own property management company so I can help manage the asset on the back end. And then I am skilled at educating. And so those two things combined help me join as an active member of the team. And so literally, I launched Steady Stream Investments in 2019 and, um, and, and launched it as an education platform for passive investors. And I have a course, it's a free course. It's called Passive Investing Made Easy, um, that you can definitely grab from my website. But with that, um, I'm all about education. So I really actually, most of my investors are first timers. It's their first time ever passively investing into a project. Um, because I want to be the one that's there 
there walking them through it step by step. Here's all the things you need to know, the things you need to understand, make sure they feel 80% comfortable. You're never going to be 100% comfortable investing into a project, especially on your first time. But I want them to feel 80% comfortable that they, that they understand the metrics, they understand the process, they understand how to vet a team and vet a market and vet a deal. Uh, and so I really, really focus on that education. And then what I do is I go out and I vet different teams in different markets and different deals. And when I find a good one that I like, I bring it back and I offer as an opportunity to invest for people in my network. Um, so I don't focus on one specific place. I like to be diversified. And so I have my assets are in Arizona, Oklahoma, Texas, and, and the Carolinas right now. Okay. Well, thank you for that explanation. And it's crystal clear. So how then do you or have you found your GPs to that you would then bring your partners in with you on? Yeah, so finding the the other GPs is all about networking. And one of the ways that I did that is I started attending all the networking events. I started attending the meetups. Um, I prefer the smaller ones because I'm an introvert. I don't like going to the big, huge conferences. They, they make me terrified, but um, I'll go to the smaller ones. And then, uh, you know, COVID was kind of a blessing for us introverts because we could just join something online and it wasn't nearly as, in, as intense. Um, so I met people online. But for me, one of my rules is I will not invest with you until I've known you for at least six months to a year. And within that six month time frame, so once I meet someone, because right now I, I have people call me all the time saying, hey, can you can you help bring some investors to this deal? And I said, you know, I would love to at some point, but right now I, I've just barely met you. So I'm not going to invest with you right now. Said, how about you add me to all of your communication? Cause that's what I want to see. I want to see that you have really good communication. I want to see the way you run your deals. I want to see how, you know, your track record and what you've done there. And, um, and so that's what I do. I basically, I'll, I'll interview them and they'll interview me and, you know, the ones who are, willing to bring me along their journey. Like, yeah, you bet. I'll add you to my stuff. I'll, you know, we'll have multiple conversations along the way. Um, and then that gives me a chance to really vet them and get to know them more than, um, you know, just jumping in with them right away. So you've done 13 and how many different sponsors are there? About five. Got it. And then, you know, I tend to, you know, evaluate what I'm, what I'm doing. And this is your podcast, not mine, but, um, you know, could I do this? Could I do that? And I'm a sales and marketing guy and I'm not, not really introverted. I'm, I'm, I am, but I'm not. 95% of people are introverts, by the way. I've, I've read a study. That's a lie. Somebody, really? somebody else read a study and told me about it. Let me be truthful. <laughs> but anyway, yes, very few people get their energy from other people. Most people get their energy from within. And I think those are, that's kind of the definition, but I'm not, I'm okay being in a group of a lot of people. Let's just put it that way. So I've, you know, kind of think about different things I would do. And I'm thinking, I, you know, what, what, what Camilla does is kind of a cool thing. I could do that. I would be really nervous. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but it's not the wrong word. Let's put it that way. I would be nervous bringing people into deals with the way you're doing it just because I'm like, you know, it's like, like you said, they're cutting a check for 50 grand. It's a lot of money to them. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for me to trust a lot of sponsors, especially ones that have only been doing this for the last three to five years or even 10 years when the market has gone just nowhere but straight up. 
So it's covered any and all mistakes. I mean, not exactly, but you get my drift. What's that been like bringing the, you know, these students money into these deals with other people? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a huge responsibility and it's not one that I take lightly. I think the first time that I brought some investors into a deal, it was, it was nerve wracking for me because I felt more responsibility for their money than I do my own. I feel like I can take bigger risks with my own money than I can with other people's money. And so when I'm bringing people along and they're trusting me, because I mean, the bottom line is it's a trust factor. You know, do you trust the people who are running the deal? Do you trust the people who bring it to you that they, it, that it is going to go well? And are you comfortable with the risk of losing everything? Um, so those are two major factors that you have to, you have to figure out. But yeah, it's a huge responsibility and it is one that you should not, you know, you should not take lightly if you're going to step into a position like mine where you're helping people to place their capital and, and, and to place their money. I think I have confidence in my uh, investment vehicle of choice, right? Like I have a ton of confidence in multifamily and in its ability to provide wealth for the long term. And then I I take very careful measures to uh, make sure I'm vetting the team. So the, the the lead sponsor, for example, the one who's the leader of the project, who's running it and who makes most of the decisions. Who are they? What have they done? What's their, you know, what's their track record? How long have they been in real estate? And one of the questions I ask is, have you lost money in real estate? Because if they haven't, they're going to at some point because that's the nature of investing, right? You don't always make money in investing. You make a bunch and you lose some and you make more and you lose some, right? Like it's, it's, it's cyclical. Um, and so I want to know if you've ha- experienced something rough and for the people that say, no, I haven't, I don't, I don't invest with them. <laughs> I want them to say yes. And here's how I handled it. So I know that they, that they can face challenges that are going to come in the future. So there will, there will be a challenge in every investment that we invest in. There's going to be some challenge, right? For example, we just had a sewer line break at one of our multifamily and flooded 10 of our apartments. That was not in the financial plan to go and replace all the flooring in 10 apartments. But we're going to make it happen and we're going to fix it and we're going to go fix the sewer line and it's going to cost us $30,000, $40,000 to do so. Um, but we have reserves. So that's another important thing to have reserves to be able to pivot, to be able to, you know, fix problems as they come up. And, um, and, Real estate is, is quite forgiving, just especially commercial real estate and multifamily because it's one of the most recession resilient investments that you can ever invest in. People always need housing, but you have to make sure you're invested in the right place, the right location with the right team. Got it. You said you've met partners through, through meetups. And so in conferences, did you meet them through, through all local meetups there in Dallas? No, no. I, so I fly all over the country and I go to meetups in, I've been to some in Arizona and Florida and New York and, um, where else have I been? California, bunch of meetups all over. I see. Got it. That's cool. That's got to be a hard thing to do for an, for an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I have strategies, you know, I'll go in and I'll, uh, my strategies meet three people. I have to meet at least three people. And then if I, if I'm drained at that point, I can be done. But if I'm okay, I can meet more. 
<laughs> so that's my, that's the strategy. Good for you. You're, you're a disciplined person. What do you do? I guess on the, you know, once the money's raised, once the deal's closed and you're operating it, what role do you play in the asset management part of it? Yeah. So we have weekly calls with the property management team, or sometimes it's every other week. Uh, but I joined all of those calls and then it's, it's just guiding and directing and, and helping, um, keeping abreast of what's going on and then making sure that all of the communications go out to investors on a monthly basis. And then also making sure the distributions go out. Um, most of ours are quarterly. So a couple of ours are monthly, but I'm um, just making sure that those distributions get out and then fielding questions from investors. So investors will often ask questions because remember, I work with brand new people and so they're they're trying to figure it out. And so, you know, as the questions come in, I'm happy to answer them and, and help investors understand how the investment's going. Like, for example, one of my investors the other day uh, sent me an email saying, hey, I'm, you know, it was 90% occupied. Now it's only 84% occupied. Should I be worried about that? Right. It's a very valid question for, from an investor. And so, you know, I fielded the question. I helped him understand that, you know, occupancy fluctuates. We're working on renovating the units and we're kind of upgrading the tenant base. And here's the things. And so we were, we were expecting the occupancy to go down a little bit to dip this month. We should have it back up in the next month or two, but over the long haul, it's not going to affect your return. Got it. So uh, you, you play an investor relations role. Do you have a point of view on asset class, you know, as it pertains to, do, do you like the heavy value add or, you know, also relative to where you think the market is, or is it just purely opportunistic and just deal by deal? So I don't like heavy value add. Um, I tried one that was a hotel conversion and that one's been very challenging because it takes so much work to fix it. And, and so we're converting it from a hotel to a, to multifamily. It's been a very challenging project. So that one is not my favorite. So my favorite actually to invest in are the just stable class B assets. I like class B a lot because it's kind of it's in between the A and the C's. So it basically will always stay full. People in, a, in an up economy, people move up a class. So they move from C to B. In a down economy, they move down a class. So then they move from A to B. So the one right in the middle, I think is very steady and stable. Now, when you talk about returns, the hotel conversion has the potential to make a much higher return than your class B asset. Class B is just going to be kind of slow and steady and stable. And so you have to kind of think about yourself as an investor. Like, what are you after? Where are you at in your journey? Are you at a point in your journey where you are comfortable with more risk? And so you want to take on more risk so you can have bigger rewards? Or are you at a point in your journey where like, yeah, I just need something steady and stable. I just need the tax benefits. Then you go into a class B or A asset. But if you're someone who wants the, you know, the big returns and you're willing to have a little bit more risk for that, then go into these hotel conversions, go into these class C assets, go, you know, go with the ones that are fire damaged and they're going to take quite a bit of effort because there is potential for return. For me, super conservative. I've got a family. I, I don't want to put our financial lives at risk. So I like the B class, you know, maybe C plus class assets that we can turn into a B and then maybe even some A 
pay assets as well, just because they are very low maintenance. Do you have a preference for a number of bedrooms in these B-class properties? Mm, yeah. So th- I think they need to be, I, I hate studios. Studios are really hard to rent. Um, they need to be at least one, but preferably two, two bedroom units. I think you should have a mix in every apartment complex should have a mix. It should not be all two bedroom units because then you're not diversified in even your one offering. So it should be a mix of two one, two, and three bedrooms for the B-class assets. Um, but your two bedrooms should be the bulk of, of those. And why is that? Because it's it's more desirable. So more people want that. And then also, you know, it's uh, the, if you have start at a one bedroom and then you get have a family, you have a baby and you want to move up, you could stay in the same apartment complex and just move over into the, into the two bedroom. And then another thing with COVID, we all started working from home. So now people want a home office and they want it to be separate and they have a, their own room for that. So a two bedroom is kind of perfect for that. So you can like have a bedroom for one and then an office for that other one. Got it. Very interesting. Well, I, I, I was curious to get your take on that. And how have your uh, partners handled financing in the last year or so? Yeah. So our last two deals, I'll talk about my last two deals. Both of those focused on long-term financing. So the ones last year, last year we were getting, it's called bridge debt, which just means it's like temporary that it, it's a, a temporary loan that we get that's interest only that um, after three years, we'll start adjusting according to the interest rates or even before that. It might even start adjusting at year one, right? It might not even be a, a fixed loan. So our last couple deals, because all the interest rates keep changing, we are looking at fixed debt. So we're still getting favorable. I mean, I have to just say this because we have all been spoiled over the last five years with incredibly low interest rates. When I first started investing, seven, eight percent was normal and it was totally fine. And we were all buying properties and we were all making money with a seven, eight percent interest rate. I think people today are freaking out because seven or eight is so much more than two or three. And I get it. It's a lot, it's a big difference, but it's still not like the 80s when it was 13%, right? 13, 14%. So we're, we're basically at normal interest rates right now. We, we were at extreme lows over the four or five years and now we're back to normal. And so things will, it, it will be normal going forward, but we definitely want to do fixed debt. We don't want, I mean, the, the Fed, I mean, really, they only have one lever that they can pull to fix this pain that basically they've caused. So they can't just keep upping interest rates because that's the only thing that they can do. So we don't want to have risk of interest rates going up even even more. So we're trying to get fixed debt on it. So we're getting, you know, seven year fixed debt as long as we can with the option of doing maybe even a 10 year. One of them was a 10 year, one was a seven to keep the interest rates just at a steady pace so that we will know what our expenses will be going forward rather than having all this fluctuation happening. And what would you, on, on those couple deals, what were the cap rates? Do you remember? Um, well, they're in very different areas. So one was in Oklahoma. Oklahoma cap rates are around six, five, six percent. And then the other one was just this Texas one that we just closed. And that one's still between three, four percent. Got it. You know, for, for the, um, just jogging my memory here, for the hotel conversion, how many units, you know, how many rooms was that to be converted into to, you know, apartments and where, where is that, you know, where is it and kind of what are the challenges with it? Yeah. So that one's located in Arizona and um, it will be 
Once we convert it, it will be 68 units. Um, and basically we're converting them to be mostly one bedroom. So if you think about a motel or a small hotel, you know, they have the, they're all kind of like studio set up as studios. So we are combining two of those to be one apartment. So we're taking down the, the wall. We're making one, one side a bedroom and then the other side is a kitchen area. And so, you know, basically like the hotel room, if you walk in, there's a bathroom and a bed, right? We're keeping that, but then the, the one right next to it, we're converting that into a kitchen. Uh, living room area. So that's what's happening there. But one of the biggest challenges we're facing is just all the permitting from the city. So we get, um, we get agreements from city officials that we can do certain things like, well, we can, we can renovate the first 20 and then get people in there and rent it, rent it out. Well, so we get working on this. And of course it's a long process, right? It takes six to nine months to get all, all the renovations. And then, and then you have to pass all the fire. Uh, Marshall has to come in and make sure that it's all put together. There's just a lot of permitting that has to happen and a lot of inspections that we have to go through. And so that takes time. Um, but then somebody leaves that position, like the person we had a, an agreement with left that position. And now a new person is in and they're saying, nope, you can't, you can't get a certificate of occupancy for just 20. You have to have all 68 finished. And so we're like, okay, now we have to go back and try and fight the city for that to try and get, you know, to get some revenue coming in because that's the challenge, right? Is that when you're doing a hotel conversion like that, there's a lot of, um, you don't have any income for a while. It's kind of like a new build, basically. Where, and what, what what city in Arizona is this in? Uh, it's in Southern Arizona. It's a tertiary market um, and uh, it's outside of Tucson. Got it. Okay. Well, Tucson's been a really, really strong market. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you live and learn on these things. It's about, you know, I mean, it's just, there's, there's no way to kind of accelerate that pace of things. And then, ah, gosh, I was going to ask you another question and then I spaced out on it. Yeah, I, it's going to have to go for now. You just kind of got me thinking about that, that, um, that most recent project. Okay. Well, what the heck? So what would you say, you know, over the last couple of years, what would you say is the most important lesson or lessons plural that you've learned? Mm, that's a great question. I think one of the most important lessons I've learned is the emphasis, the power of communication. I think with, you know, with some operators, their communication has, is not stellar. And that makes for a really rough experience for investors. I think the operators who have really great communication, who are committed to sending out those updates on a monthly basis. I mean, if you tell investors you're going to send them a monthly update, you better be sending them a monthly update and, and not be a week late or two weeks late or three weeks late because, you know, things just go bad. It just, it just looks negatively on you as, as not being able to run your, run a, organized business. And so one of the things I've learned is that, you know, really the the operators who are really great at communication are also really great at running their property because they're on top of things. They're they're not going to let things slip through the cracks. They're going to be right there ahead, one step ahead of the game. And I like that a lot. Um, and, and actually like one of my favorite operators is someone who has not been in the business a really long time. It's not a 10 year veteran of, of large multifamily real estate, but they run the best operations that, that, that out of the, all the ones that I've, um, that I'm involved in. And so I love investing with them, um, because they, 
they know what they're doing. They're on top of it and they're going to work really hard to figure out all the things. They're just really good at figuring out problems and solving solving challenges. So I think that's one of the things that I've really learned that you want to look for operators who have stellar communication because they more than likely they'll be running their business really well and they're not going to hide things from you. Like you don't want that as a passive investor. You don't want them hiding the, the, the big, huge challenges. You want to know about them and be brought along the journey so that you don't all of a sudden have a, oh, okay, we're not giving you out our distributions anymore. Sorry. And you're blindsided by that because that that's not a very good experience either. Yeah. Um, boy, very well spoken. If someone, Camilla, you know, wants to kind of learn more about you, engage with you in a, in a conversation, et cetera, how, how would they do that? Yeah. So you can um, find me on my website, steadystreaminvestments.com or LinkedIn is a really great way to connect with me. I am on LinkedIn and, and pretty active on there. So just putting out lots of education. Um, and so you can do that. Or um, I also have a my own podcast called Quiet Wealth. So you can follow me on Quiet Wealth and uh, learn. I talk there about three things. We talk about investing, business building, and um, the next generation. So how to how to really educate the next generation. Uh, so that's a fun place to join me. Got it. You know, for for an introvert, you're way out there, and and, <laughs> and, good, and good and good for you. Uh, well, listen, I hope to circle back with you next year and, and, uh, you know, get an update and see how you're doing then. And, um, I very, very, very much appreciate your time and have good holidays with your family and, uh, all, all that good stuff. Great. Yes. Thanks for having me on, Roger. It's been great. I will talk to you soon. 